Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. The festival of Shavuot arrived, and the believers all gathered together in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from the sky, like the roar of a violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they saw what looked like tongues of fire, which separated and came to rest on each one of them. They were all filled with the Ruach HaKadosh and began to talk in different languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. Now there were staying in Jerusalem religious Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were confused because each one heard the believers speaking in his own language. Totally amazed, they asked. How is this possible? Aren't these people who are speaking from the Gael? How is it we hear them speaking in our native languages? We are Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Yehuda, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phaea, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews by birth and proselytes, Jews from Crete and from Arabia. How is it that we hear them speaking in our own languages about the great things God has done? Amazed and confused, they all went about asking each other, what can this mean? But others made fun of them and said, they've just had too much wine. Shavuot is a time of great celebration. Uh, you may know that between Passover and uh, Shavuot, there are 50 days. Actually, the second day of Passover, which is the Feast of First Fruits, the first first fruits. You may be aware of the fact that there are two first fruits one first fruits for barley and one first fruit for wheat and everything else. So there are 50 days, and part of the picture is each day between Passover and Shavuot or Pentecost. By the way, Pentecost comes from a Greek word that, that means the 50th, of course, referring to day. Uh, there's a short ceremony that basically uh, involves a person saying, uh, Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified and commanded us to count the Omer. And the blessing goes on to say, today is the first or second or 30th day of the county of the Omer. Not a whole lot to it. Uh, and by the way, while this is going on, the harvest of barley continues. Barley being the first um, crop in ancient, in biblical Israel. Um, but if, if you put yourself in the shoes of the farmer you would realize that there's not an awful lot that you can do other than harvest what barley there is there 
there's not an awful lot that you can do to sit there and W-A-I-T. Wait. Um, you, you begin to see towards the end of the 50th day the, uh, the shoots of, of the wheat plant beginning to come up and that gives you hope and expectation. But the truth is um, it's basically a period of faith because you really don't see a whole lot that is developing on the ground. And you know, this is so symbolic for us as believers because God takes us through periods where we don't see an awful lot on the ground and yet we are expected to trust God that He will bring the rest of the harvest along. Um, part of what we often forget is simply the fact that when we don't see an awful lot happening visibly, that does not mean that God is not working. It doesn't mean that God is um, somewhere in veil skiing or in the Bahamas um, sailing, he is very much at work. A couple of scriptures just to remind us of that basic fact. And um, Yeshua said in John chapter 15, My Father always works, and so do I. Which simply reminds us that God at every single day in our life at every single period, good, bad, or ugly, he is at work. And I was very glad that Rabbi David referred to Yeshua's interceding for us because we often uh, don't get the fact that God is at work in our life. By the way, the book of Hebrews gives us a, a real strong picture of the fact that the Lord is at work. But our basic understanding sometimes is that Yeshua came, died, rose again, and that he's coming back, and that there's not a whole lot happening between now and then. Folks, if that was the, the, the case, um, I would be looking for something else to do. Um, but part of what Scripture tells us again and again is that the Lord is at work. And the passage that Rabbi David was referring to that speaks about Yeshua interceding for us, we also don't get because the basic, uh, the basic shtick that I've heard from time to time goes something like this. Satan is standing here and, and trash-talking about us to God. And uh, he's saying, look at Chaim, that, 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 uh, that skunk. Did you just see what he did? <laughs> and uh, Yeshua is standing over here and saying, Father, yeah, this is true. However, I came and died. I paid the price. So the slate is clean. And yes, that's part of the picture. That's kind of a judicial courtroom scene. But what the book of Hebrews tells us is that the fact that Yeshua 
is engaged in doing that somehow translates to redemption taking place in our life. In other words, that by the grace of God, a year from now, we're going to be farther along and more mature and more developed in our relationship with God than we are today. Can you say amen to that? Because he is actively engaged and he's actively at work. So part of the picture when we come to Shavuot in Acts chapter 2, the typical scenario goes something like this. The disciples are doing their thing, they're praying, they're doing whatever it is they're supposed to be doing that the Lord told them to do. Nothing is happening. It's, it's a quiet, it, it's, it's basically like the doldrums, you know. Uh, the doldrums, you may know, is, is a band uh, around the equator where the sailors, if they would get into it, they, they would be stuck because there would be no wind. Um, so the disciples are basically kind of hanging out. Then all of a sudden, on the day of Shavuot and the day of Pentecost, God takes them from zero to 60 in one second. There's a basic problem with that. The problem assumes, the issue is, we're assuming that God was not working during the previous time. That the Ruach was somewhere else during the time of waiting, then all of a sudden he kicks into action. That's not the way I see God working in Scripture. As I pointed out, Yeshua said, My Father always works, and so do I. Which means that the Spirit of God, the Ruach HaKodesh, is also working all the time. And by the way, you may remember that the period of time they waited was 10 days. We know that because there are 50 days between Passover and Shavuot. And Yeshua spent 40 days with them teaching. Ergo, there are 10 days. So part of what we saw, I hope you saw that last Shabbat, is that there were some indicators that the Holy Spirit was working during those 10 days. And let me just recap that real briefly before we come into the events of what happened on that day of Shavuot. Because in order for us to understand, really understand what happened on the day of Shavuot, we need to come back and see what God was doing during those 10 days. First of all, unity. Remember that these guys were cantankerous. They were cantankerous. Remember that James and John, the... Uh, the guys who had emotion on, on, their, uh, on their sleeve, they were just oozing, oozing drama. Th- these are the guys that said, Lord, Lord, can we nuke these Samaritans? And Yeshua said, no, not your business. Mind your own business. Um, we saw other examples. And, and so what we see in the 10 days leading up is that there's unity. And folks, if that is not a miracle, I don't know what is a miracle. Amen. 
You know, you've heard the saying where you have two Jews, you have three opinions. Where you have three Jews, you have ten opinions, and the number increases exponentially. Here, they joined together. They were continually praying together. The decision that was made about adding the 12th apostle was done together. They prayed. They made the decision together. It wasn't a one-man band. And we see the same kind of pattern that was before Shavuot. The pattern of unity continue after Shavuot. Which should confirm to us that what is happening is simply a reminder of the fact that God is consistent. God is consistent, folks. He works all along, and then sometimes it becomes a whole lot more obvious, but at least part of my sanity, I don't know about yours, part of my sanity is the basic grasp of the fact that whether I see a whole lot as far as facts on the ground go, goes, God is working. And part of the picture is that sometimes God chooses to go deep with us and to do things below the surface or perhaps you can say things behind the curtains and at some point, according to His plan or purpose, He rolls up the sleeves in a different way and He works in a way that is more visible, more obvious. But again, he has been working all along, folks. After the day of Shavuot, after everything happened, all the believers were together. They had everything in common. Again, the Spirit of God is working, and unity is one indicator. Let me put it negatively. Where there is disunity, it is a clear indicator that believers are not filled and controlled by the Spirit of God. It's a very strong statement, but that's what the Word of God says. Where there is disunity, we know that the Ruach is not working and controlling the situation and filling people the way He wants to. Second indicator was the fact that Peter, during those 10 days, remember Peter, the guy who mumbled... And said, he stands up and he speaks prophetically with authority. He takes a couple of passages in Psalms and he says, those are speaking about an aspect of Yeshua's life and ministry. In this case, it had to do with Judas. But he speaks with boldness. Boldness is one major indicator that the Holy Spirit is at work, right? In the book of Acts, they were filled with the Spirit and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. That happened here the first ten, ten days before Shavuot. And furthermore, Peter not only interprets the Psalms, but he speaks and says, this is what God wants. He doesn't say, ah, let's see, uh, we don't know what else to do and we've got 11 guys, so we really need to have 12. It's a, 12 is a good number, so 
Let's roll the dice and see if we can come up with a 12th person. Peter stands up and says, no, it is God's will for us to have a 12th person. And he, he interprets the word of God with authority. What we see in chapter 1 is what we're going to see in chapter 2 in spades on steroids. Okay, so that's the second indicator that the Holy Spirit is working. Thirdly, and there are more. I'm just giving you a couple of examples. Thirdly, the believers are praying with authority. They're not saying, Lord, if you don't know what else to do, uh, may your will be done and, and you can do this or you can do that, so have at it. They're praying with authority. Let me just read to you um, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 24, and then I will fast forward to chapter 4. Then they pray. This is Acts chapter 1. Lord, you know everyone's heart. The Greek there literally means you are the heart knower of all. Second of all, they say, show us which of these two you have chosen. What does that tell you? It suggests, folks, that in their mind, they know that God has already acted, that God has already chosen. They get the basic grasp of the sovereignty of God. Folks, that's precious. Knowing that God has sovereign plans for us determines whether we are stable and anchored or whether we are all over the map. And these guys get it pre-Shavuot, pre-Pentecost. And they say, Lord, show us. In other words, define for us. So this is a prayer of great authority. And we see that also in post-Shavuot, post-Pentecost, chapter 4. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Same kind of a thing. So three indicators, and there are more. First of all, unity. Second of all, uh, proclaiming the word of God with authority. Sec uh, thirdly, praying with authority. Folks, that's huge. So God was at work in those quiet periods, just like he's at work during quiet periods in our life. Why? Because God has a commission, God has an assignment for each one of us individually and for us as a congregation. But before we can do what God has called us to do, we have to be prepared. And we see scripturally that God invests a great deal of effort and time into the preparation of the vessels, the tools that he can use to do his will. Something had to happen during those 10 days in order for the disciples to be properly prepared for the coming of the Spirit in a big way. Again, the Spirit of God was there at work. But part of what we forget is that our lives are not a collection of coincidences. That we get up in the morning and, and we do our thing 
And uh, at the end of the day, we say, well, it was, it was a pretty good day. But we have no connection. We have no idea of how things fit. And they do. Amen. Scripture tells us that we are God's workmanship. We're God's product, God's masterpiece. Which tells us that God is working on each one of us today, tomorrow, the day after in order to shape and fashion us into, into His will. And we at Yeshua Tzion have great expectations. We have great expectations. Not of ourselves, but we have great expectation of what God will do in continuation with what he has already done. But do it in a big way. We're looking for that. Because we know that it was his plan for us to come into existence as a congregation. And we are functioning and existing and and thriving as a congregation. And God has more. God has more. So now we're coming into how God is going to do big stuff, bigger than what he did before. Again, the emphasis in the 10 days was preparing the disciples. Now he's going to prepare the ground for what needs to happen with people. But first of all, I wanted to point something out in verse 1 of chapter 2. When the day of, of Pentecost or Shavuot came, they were all together in one place. What is not translated, what doesn't come through in English is a word that means when Shavuot came into fullness. Okay? And it's an interesting word that has the idea of things being completed. And obviously this is referring to the 50 days that had to be fulfilled in order for Shavuot to begin the actual celebration in the temple. But it obviously refers to God's calendar, folks. That at this particular point in God's calendar, it was time for him to act in a big way, in a way that he hadn't done before. was a time of completion on God's calendar. Perhaps I can put it this way. It's sort of like, and this is silly, okay, so please bear with me, but it's sort of like God's alarm clock. And at some point, the alarm clock reaches the point that it's going to go, however God's alarm clock goes. And, And we see that, For example, in verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a noise like violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Yes, it states that suddenly, but remember that things in God's calendar led up to it. And then at this point, it was the precise moment when God was going to 
pour out his spirit in a bigger way than what he had done before and do things in a massive way. Suddenly, he's pulling out the stops. And the disciples, I think in in their shoes, I would be freaking out. Think about it. Think of of what is taking place here. Um, A noise like a violent rushing wind that fills the whole house. And there appear to be tongues as in a fire distributing themselves and seated on each one of them. Now, we often read this and really not pay attention to the, to the details, but think about sitting someplace, perhaps in, in a room this size or something larger, then all of a sudden you have a sound that is ear-piercing at, at, at a thousand decibels. What would you do? You first of all would plug your ears, and then you would be pretty rattled, wouldn't you? I would be. And then on top of that, you have what seems like a tongue of fire, sort of a, a, uh, a stream of fire that appears and then splits and then comes and, and rests on different individuals. Now think about these disciples. This was not a common everyday occurrence. They have seen Yeshua do all kinds of miracles, but nothing like this. And so they're not saying this is exactly how it happened, but uh, this is to the best of our understanding what it really was like. And the point simply is that God speaks to us in our language. The Lord would not have brought about a mini nuclear cloud at this particular point to get their attention. Why? They would have no clue what it was. But the two items that are mentioned here, the wind, the noise, and the fire, both have references that take us back to to the Tanakh, to the Torah. Think about what things were like when Israel was on Mount Sinai. Remember that there was, uh, the mountain was on fire and there was a loud sound like the blowing of the shofar, like Michael does, but a whole lot louder. So part of the picture is for these disciples, they realize, okay, we don't like the noise, don't like this freaky looking fire, but this is something like what our ancestors told us about and when we read the Torah about the noise that comes. And the other thing you have to remember, here it speaks about wind. You may know that the Hebrew word for wind, ruach, also means breath. And it also means spirit. We see that, for example, in, in Ezekiel, the valley of the vision of the valley of the dead, the bones, where you have 
this word ruach appearing in each of those, each of those different ways. Um, both spirit, breath, and wind. So again, what is happening here is first of all designed to get the attention of the disciples. And the wind and the fire especially are reminders to them of the coming of God in earlier times. Remember what the fire represented for the people of Israel. They remembered that God came to Moses in a burning bush. So it was a, a symbol of God's presence. Part of what we also want to realize here is that people often look at what happens here and they described it as the beginning of the church. As if to say that there is absolutely no connection between what takes place in Acts 2 and what took place in earlier times in God's work with the nation of Israel. Last Shabbat I talked quite a bit about how we see that the Spirit of God is presented as being active in the nation of Israel. And by the way, also remember that the Spirit of God came upon uh, 70 elders and Moses said, I wish that the whole nation would, be, would have the Spirit of God upon them. So part of what we're seeing here is the beginning of this desire for Moses to see the nation of Israel impacted and then as a result of that, for it to spread and impact the nations. But we need to remember that what's taking place here is primarily affecting Jewish people. There's some proselytes, but for the most part, you have Jewish people from all over. And so what we see here is the beginning, first of all, of God doing, working with the disciples and then launching them out to work with the pilgrims. By the way, the estimates put it that um, during the three pilgrim festivals, Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles, that Jerusalem increased to, uh, and, and specifically the mount, the mount of, of the Temple Mount had 200,000 people packed into it. So we don't know all the details here, but part of what's happening here is that these guys are filled with the Spirit and they're launched out. They somehow make, it, make their way into the temple and they begin to talk. And people are drawn to hear what's going on. Now, why is it such a big deal for people to be drawn to hear them? Well, if you know anything about the Galileans, you know that they were sort of like, and this is not to um, belittle hillbillies from Missouri, but it's sort of like folks from Missouri all of a sudden standing up and speaking French and, and Chinese and, and Arabic and all kinds of languages. And you look at them and you say, uh, this doesn't fit. This isn't quite normal here. 
um, somewhat like one of the folks from the uh, hill country in Missouri coming to New York City and starting to talk, and New Yorkers look at them and say, uh, you're not from here. And remember that that was the case with Peter. Um, as Yeshua is being led away and, and he is being tried, Peter opens his mouth, and what do people say to them? Uh, we know that you're one of, of his, because we can tell the way you talk. Funny accent. That's exactly it. So part of the picture here, and what we have to realize, is that God is working in a massive way, in all kinds of ways. And part of the miracle is that these Galileans, these hillbillies, are able to speak all kinds of languages that they have never spoken before. And people are drawn, you know, in a place like the, the temple where people were packed. It didn't take much. You would stand up and you start talking and people would be drawn because this is something fascinating. By the way, Luke tells us here that people were amazed and utterly amazed and perplexed. He mentions that in a couple of places here in, in verse 7, verse 12. Because what the pilgrims are seeing is something that has never happened before. Now, part of the picture, folks, is that God is creative. And he has all kinds of tools in his tool chest. And he's able to pull all kinds of things. And part of what happens with us, we say, God, you did this back here. Therefore, if you're going to work, you're going to have to do the same thing now. Which is why, why when... Um, we see uh, handkerchiefs touching people in Ephesus, handkerchiefs that, that touched Paul and people are healed, then folks say, okay, handkerchiefs uh, is the key. We pray over them and uh, whatever happened in Ephesus is going to happen now. No! The touching of people with the handkerchiefs was a one-time event in the book of Acts. God is able to do all kinds of things. And we limit him because we expect that he would do something that fits our paradigm. And at some point, folks, part of our commitment to hear from God, to know what he's doing, and to see him at work means that we come before him and we say, Lord, um, here we are, signed, sealed, delivered. Um, no preconceived notions of what we want you to do other than we want you to do what you want to do. And we know who God is. We know that he has good plans and we desire those good plans, but we don't come to the Lord and say, Lord, if you are really working, then you're going to go from A to B to C to D according to our plans and to, according to our purposes. And at least the God that I worship doesn't work that way. He wants to do his good plans 
but according to his strategy and according to his timing. And that drives us mishugi. It drives us mishugi. You know, in the early days of Yeshua Tzion, we used to, we had a gal, a British gal, and one of her sayings was, God is so long-winded, which means that he likes to take his sweet time. Well, yes, he does. But our silly and false expectation is that during what seem to be those lull periods, God is not sleeping. He's at work. He's preparing the ground. He's doing the work, first of all, in us so that we would be fit and equipped to do what He has for us to do. And what do these disciples speak? Are they talking about the weather? Are they complaining about the Roman... um, the bondage of the Roman rule? Are they kvetching about the uh, corrupt system in the temple with, with the Sadducees ripping everybody off? No, folks, look at, look at Scripture here in verse 7. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? then how is it that each one of us hears, hears them in his native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our, in our tongues. So part of the miracle here is that the, these Galileans are able to speak these languages. Part of the miracle is somehow that not only the Galileans are speaking, but somehow it is filtered and people hear what they need to hear and that's the miracle of communication folks each Shabbat we pray that when you come you would hear from God it's a miracle it's a mystery Uh, through the worship and music and dance through the Torah service through the message through every part of the service we pray that as the human vessels, as, as these mouths talk, that what will happen is that the, the Spirit of God will somehow take what is said and translate it into your language so that you get what you need to get on that particular day. And that's the miracle, folks. It's the miracle. I have often had folks coming to me and saying, uh, were you reading a page out of my book? And were you, t- uh, were you talking about me? And my response, of course, is to say no. I come in faith. I prepare. Um, but what is heard is not what comes out of my mouth, folks. What is heard is, yes, what comes out of my mouth is somehow the Ruach, the Spirit of God, takes and leads us into all truth. And it's a mystery. And we come prepared for that. We ask God. We depend on Him to do that. That's a huge part of who we are as Yeshua Tzion, as a congregation, folks. 
not about me standing and preaching or Rabbi David standing and preaching or Michael or James or any of us or on Wednesday night. It is simply the fact that you and I need to hear the word of God. We need to take it in. It needs to become part of our DNA and then we need to act on it. There has to be transformation because what we see here in Acts Chapter 2 and throughout the book is that God's word is always combined with God's power. Because otherwise, it is just humans talking. And that's, humans will talk. <laughs> we see lots of that. But if, if it is really the word of God, somehow God is communicating, then what will happen is the miracle of the human speech somehow being taken and translated by the Spirit of God so that we each hear the word in our language, in our particular situation, that we hear from God, we know what He wants us to do, and then we learn to take it and apply it, and transformation comes about. Renewing transformation by the renewing of the mind through the word of God. That's the miracle that takes place. For each of us to take and receive the word of God and then to be able to transmit it to others. Because all of us are bearers of the word of God. Yeshua said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what is poured into you then has to overflow and impact and touch those around you. And that's what, that's what you see here in the book of Acts, folks. You see the disciples getting a, a major download from God and then being p- equipped to communicate that to other people so that they hear God's word in their language. By the way, the phrase in our language is repeated a couple of times here as a point of emphasis. And somehow, God is working here, as he had been working with the disciples, he is working with the people who are listening and who are being prepped to hear and receive the word of God. All of that is the working of the spirit of God. Remember what Yeshua said in John 14, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. This is John 14, John 16. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So somehow, folks, the miracle is our hearing physiologically. Somehow the sound waves penetrate, but they go a whole lot deeper The Spirit of God somehow takes and conveys that to our mind, to our understanding, to our spirit. And the Word of God is effective. We see that in in Isaiah 55. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That's the, the amazing part of it, folks. And, and what happens, the, the acid test 
that what happens is not that we stand up and speak Chinese about the Super Bowl. But we stand up and somehow communicate the greatness of who God is. In order for us to communicate that, it has to be inside of us. God doesn't work in a vacuum. And yes, He can do anything. Yes, He can take us zero to six to sixty in two seconds, but He typically what we see in Scripture that He is a God of order and shalom He leads up to, He does work preparatory work in us. These disciples proclaim what was already inside. They knew from Scripture what the Word of God had to say about the glory of God, the miracle, the, the mystery of God. Many, O Lord, this is Psalm 40, many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders, the niflaot you have done, the things you have planned. No one can recount were I to speak and tell of them there will be, be too many to declare. So the psalmist is saying here, Lord, you just, who you are just blows me away. It blows me away when I realize who you are and not just what you mean to me, but what, what you mean for this broken down humanity, period. And because of that, because the word of God was deeply embedded in them, then it comes out. It comes out. And the truth is, if you're like me, you want to see God working in big and spectacular ways. You want to see him roll up the sleeves and get to work in a way that dazzles and baffles us. To where we're amazed. To where we can stand up and say, God, you rock! But part of it, folks, is whenever God does those spectacular things, it is based on what He's been doing all along. And if all we want, if all we can see is the big, massive show of power that God does sometimes, if that's all we can see, then we have a basic problem because we really don't understand who God really is. And we don't see His hand at work and we don't give him glory that he deserves during those supposedly quiet times. And then because we don't see him at work, we gritch and complain and kvetch and moan and say, rah, 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 rah. Lord, how come you're working with him and, and her but not me? What am I chopped liver? God sometimes chooses folks to take his sweet time to prepare us. To prepare us, to take and fashion us and, and go deep with us and learn that nasty spiritual discipline called waiting. And as we learn to cooperate with his plans and his purposes and his way of doing things, then when he is ready, 
he will pull out the stops and do the big stuff. In the meantime, we learn to say, God, I'm clueless. I'm, I'm, I'm blind. Open my eyes. Cause me to see you at work so that I can rejoice in the things that you do today. And then when we see God doing other stuff, big, bigger stuff, then we say, Lord, this is amazing, but you've been doing all this good stuff back here. It's part of the picture. Learning to be open to God's work through the quiet times, through the more exciting times. He's always at work. Please stand as we pray. Avinu Malkeinu, we bless your name and thank you that you put up with us, Lord, with our foolishness, with our impatience, with our unbelief. Thank you, Lord, that you are a patient teacher that you open our eyes and show us additional lessons of who you are. And Lord, we want to learn. We want to know you. We pray for the spirit of knowledge and revelation to know you better. Pray for each one of us, Lord, in our particular circumstances, Lord, that we will not see the mountain, but we would see you. Lord God, that we will learn to worship you in the midst of the ups and downs and the bobby and weaving of life, Lord. That we would acknowledge your sovereign control and that we would learn to be a discerning people, Lord. Discerning your will and your work in our life at all times. Lord, that we would learn to be fellow workers in your kingdom with you and with each other. That we would be well-prepared, well-equipped vessels, Lord God, to do your work in all seasons. And we ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.